I have to put you on to Armoire, the convenient solution to effortless, fresh, and stylish dressing. With an Armoire membership, you can curate the perfect wardrobe with high-quality, unique brands tailored specifically to your taste. Simply take a five-minute style quiz, select items from your personalized closet, then your chosen styles arrive at your doorstep in as little as two days. When it's time for a wardrobe refresh, just swap out your current pieces for new-to-you styles. I go from professional to the carpool pickup line, so I need a diverse wardrobe. With Armoire, I always have something fresh and on-trend for any occasion, without the clutter. I recently edited my wardrobe to staple pieces only because Armoire allows me to add new pieces monthly and return them just in time for me to do it all over again. And by renting, rather than constantly buying new clothes, I'm contributing to sustainability. Armoire is currently helping me through my chic era with all the high fashion and edgy options that I am loving. And the empowering aspect of supporting a women-founded and women-led business is so cool. With their personalized styling suggestions and diverse designer offerings, Armoire has helped me define and refine my personal style, even as trends evolve and my body changes. Whether it's a date night, a professional event, a formal affair, or just a trip to the grocery store, Armoire ensures that I am always dressed to impress effortlessly. Right now, my listeners can give Armoire a try and get up to 50% off their first month. That's up to $125 off. Just visit armoire.style slash murderish. That's armoire.style, A-R-M-O-I-R-E dot style slash murderish to get up to 50% off your first month and never worry about what to wear again. Try Armoire today. Hey, Serial Streamers, welcome back to another episode of Serial Streamers. And if you don't know what Serial Streamers is, it is a true crime TV club, kind of like a book club, only way better. And it's for people who are out there binging all the true crime documentaries. I know I am. I'm sure there are a lot of you out there who are doing the same thing. So that's kind of where I got the idea. I'm like, hmm, we're all watching these documentaries, maybe not at the exact same time, but we're watching them. But there's really like no place to gather for us all to go and then like talk about what we watched. So that is what Serial Streamers is. It's a true crime TV club. And if you want to join, it's super easy. All you have to do is follow me on Instagram at Jamie on air. That's J-A-M-I on air. And every time I cover a documentary, I do it. Uh, I do a YouTube video. So you can go ahead and subscribe to my YouTube channel if you want a video version. I also drop an episode on the Murderish podcast feed every couple of weeks. And those are Serial Streamers episodes. So there's a number of ways that you can get this content. If you're a YouTuber, get it on YouTube. If you're a podcaster, subscribe to Murderish and you'll get it there. All right. So the good news is I have no disclaimers, no trigger warnings this week because the documentary that I'm covering is so good. There, there, nobody got murdered. Nobody got assaulted. Like it literally is just light and fluffy and it's just the jokes just write themselves with this one. All right, so the documentary that we are going to be covering on this one is called Fire, The Greatest Party That Never Happened, and that's on Netflix. It came out in 2019, and for those of you who don't know, it covers the now infamous, ill-fated music festival, the Fire Festival. So I cannot wait to talk about this documentary. I actually watched this quite a while ago when it first came out. So I hadn't watched it in a while and I was kind of chomping at the bit to watch it again. So I did. And now we're going to cover it because I just really want to hear what you all have to say about this. There is one scene in particular, and if you know, you know, that I will never forget with this documentary and we're going to get into that. All right. So this documentary kind of follows a young tech bro or a young tech entrepreneur named Billy McFarlane. And Billy is the co-founder of the ill-fated fire festival, along with the rapper jaw rule, which I've always found hilarious for some reason. And this fire festival was supposed to take place in the Bahamas on this really exclusive private Island. A little bit about Billy at the time when all this was was happening. He was 25 years old. He grew up in New Jersey with 
with his parents who were real estate investors. So you get the sense that he was a bit of a privileged dude. And I don't know, I would describe Billy McFarland as like your average white dude, kind of plain, kind of vanilla, kind of nerdy, um, probably didn't get a lot of love from the girls in high school, which is part of my theory as to why all of this transpired, and we'll get into that. Now, before Billy co-founded the Ill-Fated Fire Festival, he also co-founded at the age of 22, a company called Magnesis. Now, Magnesis was sort of the black credit card, like the black card for millennials. And he and his, you know, investors or whoever was involved in this Magnesis bullshit, they created an app for the Magnesis card. And you were supposed to, as a Magnesis card holder, you were supposed to get all these perks like getting into, you know, at the VIP level at, you know, big concerts. There was also this like event space or like, I don't know what it was. It looked kind of small, but this event space that Magnesis card holders could used to entertain guests. So it really was just like, it was a black card, so it looked cool. It was made of like steel or something, so it was like super heavy. Um, and it just made you look cool. So you can just imagine like Billy is probably like a nerdy guy in high school. And so of course he would be the guy who creates this credit card that like makes you look cool. Maybe it makes you look like a baller. And when you go to pull it out and pay for drinks with girls, maybe it gets you laid. I really don't know, but that's kind of what I think or is the reason he, he created this Magnesis credit card. And like I said, this black card, this uh, for millennials or the Magnesis card, it was kind of like an exclusive card to have or you were supposed to feel exclusive when you got it. And reportedly it was bringing in about $2 million in, oh my God, my dogs every single time. We're just, we're just gonna, we're gonna record through the barking cause it is what it is. Okay. And reportedly this Magnesis credit card brought in about $2 million in membership fees. So it was making young Billy, young privileged Billy McFarlane very rich. However, the Magnesis credit card holders would soon start calling in their complaints or actually that now I'm showing my age. They probably didn't call in their complaints. They probably went to the app and like hit the contact button. I don't know, but they start complaining that the perks that they were promised as part of this exclusive uh, Magnesis card program, they weren't getting and they they're but their complaints were falling on deaf ears. Of course, because as soon as Billy came out of the womb and then became an adult, like he literally hit the ground grifting. The dude has a history of just being a grifter, a scam artist. Um, the Magnesis program, it sounds like, you know, he has these like, it seems like he has these big ideas, but he doesn't know how the hell to pull it off. He doesn't know, he doesn't have the business savvy to actually pull it off, but he wants to play the part of like this really talented and gifted tech bro, who's this young co-founder of these big companies that are just amazing, but really nothing he ever created to date has been amazing. It's been an epic fail. And how Ja Rule, the rapper, and this nerdy, Billy McFarlane came to know each other was through Magnesis because apparently Ja Rule used to attend some of the Magnesis events. Apparently the Magnesis company would put on these like high profile expensive events and Ja Rule showed up and that's how he met Billy. And Ja and Billy came up with this idea to start, uh, create an app called the Fire app. And it was an app that would help people book celebrities for their events. And Ja Rule and Billy started thinking like, hmm, like how can we promote this app? Like how can we get the word out there? Oh, I know, let's plan this big music festival. It's gonna be the biggest thing ever and we're gonna promote the app. But what really ended up happening is, that the festival turned into its own thing, not just to promote the Fire app, but also like a festival that could make them a lot of money, supposedly. And this is around the time when this like rumor or this lore started percolating around the fire. I guess the, so Billy had a company called Fire Media, I wanna say, and that's where he created the app, an app where people could go on and book celebrities for big events. 
And then they're, him and Ja Rule start talking about how are we going to promote it. So that's when they came up with the Fire Festival type deal. And then this rumor started percolating around the Fire Media office that Billy had allegedly purchased a private island in the Bahamas. And the island is called Norman's Key. And it's like I said, it's in the Bahamas. And apparently this is where him and Ja Rule are going to hold this fire festival, this bigger than life music festival. And Billy and Ja Rule start telling everybody, anybody who will listen, that this Norman's Key Island used to be Pablo Escobar's island. Uh, Pablo Escobar being the um, infamous drug cartel dude. And they're saying that Pablo Escobar used to use this island in the 1970s and 80s to have planes land on the island so that they could refuel the planes so that the planes could continue their trip to the United States to bring cocaine. And that was really part of their promo of this music festival. Like, oh my God, come join us on this beautiful private island that used to be Pablo Escobar's island. It's just a it's another ploy to get people to the island. And it may or may not have been Pablo Escobar's island. To be honest with you, I've seen reports that yes, Pablo Escobar and his cartel used to use this island and they built this like small like landing strip for airplanes. Um, and then I've heard people say, no, that's not true. But regardless, Billion Ja Rule ran with it and they're like, this is Pablo Escobar's island, come party with us. And then there's this moment on the documentary where Ja Rule and Billy McFarlane are sitting on stage at some event and this is five months before Fire Festival is supposed to happen. And Ja Rule has the microphone and he's like, yeah, I'm gonna, um, I'm gonna hand the mic over to my partner in crime, Billy McFarlane. And it's like, dude, those words did not age well. Like you literally just called Billy McFarlane your partner in crime and he would literally become your partner in crime in the future, just five months from the time you said that. So those words did not age well. And Billy and Ja Rule started promoting the shit out of this fire festival. And they actually use really smart tactics. Now these tactics were extremely expensive and I think they like way overpaid for them. So that was kind of stupid. Um, but they use these tactics of like, just to blow up this music festival so that they just like sell out of these tickets. And what they did was they started like promoting it and saying, um, they shot this really, really, um, beautiful promo video over a number of days in the Bahamas on this Island. And you see Billy McFarlane and, um, and Ja Rule walking around. They always have like a Corona or like some beer in their hand. And they're just like living the life, broing it up with each other. And there's these beautiful models that have been flown in. And they show them like, you know, riding jet skis, you know, on the island and um, rolling around in the sand in their bikinis. And these models were like Bella Hadid, um, uh, who was it? Uh, Haley Baldwin, who's now Haley Bieber. Um, they used like really big name models to promote this thing and they flew them in, which could not have been cheap. And they're just like rolling around in the sand. And it's just like kind of was a genius marketing move on their part because the video was beautiful and they made it look like you have to come to this event. Like you're going to get serious FOMO if you do not come to this gorgeous island with these gorgeous people. And they made it seem as though like once you land on this island, these beautiful models are going to be there waiting for you, which wasn't at all true, but they made it look like that. You know, and it's these white sandy beaches. I mean, it could not be more beautiful. And you get this vision in your mind that, oh my gosh, this is the most exclusive music festival I have ever seen promoted. I have to be there. And like with all these beautiful people walking around, I mean, that's sort of the image that they sold people on. And what it looked like to me, I mean, I couldn't help but thinking it looks like just a big dude fest, like a big bro fest with dudes like high-fiving each other, drinking beers all day, watching these models roll around in the sand. Um, you know, with their inflated egos and their fragile, insecure, I just, they look like two bros, like trying to live out their dream, but they have no clue what they're doing. They have no clue how to actually pull this thing off. And these really high profile models that were used in the promo video, they start posting on social media with hashtag fire festival. 
And that's when this event starts to pick up some steam and get some press attention. And the Daily Mail picks it up as well as others. And there's just a lot of buzz percolating um, and being generated by these models posting hashtag fire festival. And everybody's like, what is this fire festival? Everybody wants to know like, what is this? And on December 12th of 2016, there's this ambiguous orange tile social media post and these high profile models and other celebrities they all post this orange tile on the same exact day at the same exact time and it the caption of this social media post simply says join me at fire festival and i'm sure they like hashtag fire festival and again it's a genius move because once these celebrities with these huge platforms post the same thing at the same time everybody's like whoa there all these celebrities are talking about this fire festival what is it and they start looking into it and i'm sure people start buying passes and so it was a really smart move to promote this thing and kendall jenner was even paid two hundred and fifty thousand dollars for one social media post about fire festival and that also just kind of like further blew this thing up and the ticket packages to this ill-fated event they include you know you could buy like the basic level pass which was still probably a few hundred dollars or you could spend like in the thousands and you could get, you know, anything from like a luxury tent on the beach to an actual like beach house right on the water. Um, you could book VIP yacht experiences for additional money and 95% of the tickets sold out in 48 hours. So all of their promotion for this fire festival really worked. The problem was there was zero infrastructure for this damn music festival. And when I say zero, I mean zero. Like nowhere for all the poop to go. There was no um, water or plumbing or electricity. There was nothing. But yet they're gonna throw this huge event with like thousands and thousands of people that are supposedly gonna come and watch these bands. So you can already kind of see the painting on the wall, like the writing on the wall that this this ain't going to work out. It's just not going to work. And they end up booking major bands. I mean, some people would say these are not major bands, but like, I don't know. It depends on who you ask, but they're certainly not small potatoes artists. Okay. So they ended up booking Blink-182, Major Lazer, and Lil Yachty. Um, these were some of the booked talent. So they did have some big names on the roster you know, to draw people in. I don't know how they did it, but they did it. Oh, actually, I do know how they did it. They paid the talent like two times what their value was, what their actual market value was. So Billy and Ja Rule were, and the investors in this thing, were way overpaying for stuff. They were way overpaying for these models. They were way overpaying for the video shoot. They were way overpaying for these artists to show up and be the talent for this music festival because it was almost like, no, their egos got in the way. Like we're going to make, I, I bet you they were like hyping each other up at night. Like, bro, this is going to be the biggest thing ever. Like, yeah, cheers. High five, bro. Let's do this. Yeah. Fire festival. But like, and they're spending all this money, which wasn't their money for the most part. It was investors' money. And they're just like, F it. We're just going to spend all this money to make it happen. But they're not really considering how the hell are we actually going to pull this off? Okay. And then at some point, the documentary introduces us to a dude named Andy King. Now, Andy King is my favorite character in this entire documentary. Now, Andy King had known Billy for a long time. And while Billy and Ja Rule and their team were sort of like planning, uh, you know, Fire Festival, like six or eight weeks out from when the music festival was supposed to happen, Billy reaches out to his friend, Andy King, and like, dude, I need your help. I've got this Fire Festival. I want you to come in. I'm going to fly you to the island and I need you to be the event producer. And so Andy King does just that. But again, we are six to eight weeks away from this music festival and he's just now hiring an event producer. And Andy King is this like older, like salt and pepper haired white dude who um, looks like he could be Billy's dad, you know, just like this unassuming guy. Seems like a really nice guy and he accepts the challenge and he becomes the event producer for Fire Festival. But he has no clue 
what he is stepping into, but he's about to find out. And apparently Billy and all of the fire festival organizers were, you know, specifically told not to use Pablo Escobar's name in any of their marketing or promotion for this event. But what do they do? Because the rules apparently don't apply to them. Him and Ja Rule can't shut the F up about Pablo Escobar. They're like, dude, it's Pablo Escobar's island. Come party with us on Pablo Escobar's island. Pablo Escobar, Pablo Escobar, Pablo Escobar. Like they cannot say Pablo Escobar's name enough. And what happens? Their asses get kicked off the island because they're like, uh, the people who told them not to use it get wind that they're using Pablo Escobar's name. So now the entire fire Festival like organizer team is kicked off the island. And I'm talking, this is like just a few weeks away from when this festival is supposed to happen. So this is like a real oh shit moment. Like, what are we going to do? Well, they basically start flying around. They're like, well, we need another island in the Bahamas to, to you know, pull off this music festival. So they go flying around and they do in fact find another island. So 45 days out from the music festival, they find Okay, I might pronounce this wrong. They find another island and it's called Great Exuma or Great Eczema. It's probably not eczema like the like the itchy skin syndrome. Like I think it's Great Exuma, Great Exuma Island, which apparently is right next to a Sandals resort. And at least this island did have plumbing, but it didn't have much else. All right. So there's still it's like a bit of a shit show trying to hold this huge music festival with like basically no infrastructure but they find an island it has plumbing that's good but the problem was that great exuma was not a private island and they had promised in all the marketing and you know all the people that bought tickets to this event that you are going to be on pablo escobar's private island but great exuma was not a private island so what did Billy and his scammy friends and co-founders do? They doctored photos to make it look like Great Exuma was a private island. So when you see photos of it in their promo for the music festival, they have cropped out all the areas surrounding Great Exuma and they make it look like it's a private island, but it's not at all. And apparently as part of the deal for this fire fest, Billy McFarlane and his, you know, management team had promised about 250 influencers these private villas on the beach for the Firefest for free, only those private villas did not exist. So Billy and his management team, like you know, all the people who are putting on this, you know, festival, they're promising shit that doesn't exist. They're promising luxury tents that don't exist. They're promising beach houses that don't exist. They're promising these influencers, oh, because you shared a few posts about our festival, you can have this luxury villa for free. But they don't even, none of this exists. And Billy starts to be warned by some people in this, you know, organization team, like, hey, dude, like, we don't have enough housing for the people who bought tickets, let alone these 250 influencers who are going to get these luxury villas that don't exist for free. Like Billy is out there promising all this stuff that doesn't exist. And he's already sold tickets for a VIP yacht, you know, experience that doesn't exist. He's already sold tickets for people who are supposedly supposed to get a luxury tent that they don't have. Like he's already sold all this stuff but he doesn't, he can't produce it. He cannot deliver on what he's sold, but he just keeps on moving forward with this fire festival regardless. And Billy wouldn't take advice from anybody. He was completely head in the clouds, wouldn't take no for an answer. We're going to do this, make it happen. We need solutions, not, you know, problems. We just basically like shut the fuck up, do your job and make this thing happen as was his attitude. He was completely delusional. And then the documentary introduces us to a guy named Calvin Wells. And Calvin Wells is a New York financier and he knew Billy back in New York um, from his Magnesis days. And Calvin Wells is like, I smell a rat. Like this fire festival does not seem like it's even possible on this island like how how are they going to pull this off so calvin starts looking into firefest and he actually finds out that billy rented an area north of a sandals resort 
and photoshopped the island to make it look like it was a private island when it wasn't at all. So that was Calvin's first clue that like, okay, this guy's a bit of a scammer. Like this seems like this is kind of a raw deal for anybody who purchased tickets to this event. Okay, so I love a citizen sleuth and this guy Calvin Wells is just that. And he goes and creates a Twitter account called Fire Fraud, at Fire Fraud. And its sole purpose is to expose the fraud that is Fire Festival. And he goes to great lengths to show people out in the world that like this fire festival ain't happening. It's a fraud. So what does he do? Somehow, I don't know how, how he had the resources. Maybe it was his own money. But this guy, Calvin Wells, he charters a plane or he has a plane fly down to the island where this fire festival is supposed to be happening. And he gets footage of them setting up for the music festival and kind of like planning and building the infrastructure. And... What does he see? He sees that the luxury tents that they're selling are actually hurricane tents. They're these little like janky tents that are made of like plastic tubing holding them together. They are not yurts. They are not luxury tents at all. They are hurricane tents. So that's when he knows like he has actual footage of these tents, these hurricane tents. And he's like, okay, this guy Billy is a fraud and what he is selling is bullshit. And he also sees that there are like hundreds of day workers, day laborers um, who are locals to this island who are working around the clock nonstop. They're probably not getting proper food breaks or proper sleep breaks. They are just working feverishly to try and pull this thing together. And everybody who is planning this festival is just burning the candle at both ends. There's like these feelings of impending dread and doom of like, it's like they know this can't happen. They know that they're working for something that can't happen, but they don't know it. They're just going to keep working until the day comes and they figure out like this is just this cannot happen this cannot be pulled off and of course we find out that vendors are being paid late some vendors um were uh i guess interviewed and said that they were being paid with bags of cash which doesn't sound legit but at least i guess they got payment which is good so th there's already financial issues people are not being paid on time or paid at all some people are being paid with bags of cash which I don't even know what to say about that. I mean, that, that should be your first clue that like something's up. <laughs> yeah, exactly. It's like the Monopoly man comes and steps in like, here's your cash. Like, here's for your payment. Like, I, I can't. And by this time, Billy McFarland says that he's into this festival for $25 million. And by he, he means his investors, not him at all. Because I highly doubt that even a dollar of his own money when, went into this scammy festival. I, you know, these, and he somehow was able to get investors who believed in him to, you know, fork over their hard earned money. And unfortunately, spoiler alert, they're going to be left holding the bag. And Billy just keeps raising more and more money from these investors. And then he also, because he's basically desperate to bring in more money because he doesn't have enough money to pull this thing off. So he keeps raising more money. And then he's, then he's starting to put out new experiences, like add-on experiences on the Firefest website. And again, these experiences don't exist. But apparently he was trying to offer a $50,000 cabana that didn't exist. I mean, he's putting up stuff on the website that people are paying for that he cannot deliver. And then this website pops up and it's called firekey.com and its sole purpose is to expose Firefest. And there are apparently these confidential meetings that happen within the Firefest organizers between all the executives and they're like, who the F is the rat amongst us? Because there were you know, words exchanged and information exchanged in private, you know, media executive meetings for Fire Festival. And then the website would have information from those meetings. So now Billy McFarlane and all these people who are organizing the event were are like, oh my God, we have a rat amongst us that's feeding information to this firekey.com, you know, website that's sole purpose is to expose the Firefest, you know, shenanigans. And apparently the creator of the firekey.com website 
basically sends a message to Billy and says that like, hey, I'll take down this website if you'll do one thing for me. And that one thing is that you have to show actual photos of the island that you're going to have this festival on, not the doctored photos. And apparently that never happened. So I think the website ended up staying up. And then about two weeks before the festival is supposed to happen, notifications go out to pass holders regarding this digital wristband that they are being encouraged to load more money onto. So... And this is above and beyond what they've already spent on these expensive Firefest passes. So essentially, Billy came up with this harebrained idea that there's going to be this digital wristband. And then everybody who bought a ticket already is going to get another notification that's like, hey, you're going to want to load money onto your wristband. You Maybe you should load a thousand extra dollars so that you can get this VIP yacht package or you can get this cabana package. Basically, like it's telling them to spend more money. And again, all of the experiences that they're talking about, about, you know, to load money for these experiences on their wristband, they didn't exist. But Billy was bleeding money and the investors were bleeding money. Like he needed more money for this fire festival. And then attendees for the fire festival. Now we're getting like days, you know, out. We're only days uh, to when this festival is supposed to happen. And the attendees start asking questions because, of course, they're going to fly like you know, out of the country for this festival, they've spent a ton of money and they're not really seeing like what they're getting for their money. So they're asking questions like, well, where am I going to be staying? Does it come with power outlets in these luxury tents? Is there a mattress? Is there a this? But they're not getting answers to their questions. I mean, their answer, it's just falling on deaf ears. And then after people are writing all these comments online, like saying, well, what the fuck's going on with this fire festival? I'm not getting any answers. The customer service sucks, yada, yada. Those comments start to be deleted, of course. Okay, so Mr. Andy King, the event producer, the guy who had known Billy for quite a while, who was flown in like six or eight weeks before the festival. Andy King's water story <laughs> comes to light. This is my favorite part. Okay, so apparently the documentary tells us like there's this shitload of Evian water that's been brought in for this festival, but it gets stuck at customs. And apparently the head of customs, the guy with the last name of Cunningham, I believe, tells the fire fest organizers or management team, you're going to have to pay $175,000 if you want this water for whatever reason. Okay. I don't remember what it was. And so this is literally like the day or a couple days before the festival. So they're like, fuck, we need this water. What do we get? We don't have the money. We don't have $175,000 to spend to get this water, but we need this water. So what does Billy do? He calls his buddy, Andy King, the event producer, and he's like, listen, Andy, I'm going to need you to take one for the team. And he goes on to explain to, and Andy's like, okay, what do you, what do you, what do you need? And, um, I guess Billy goes on to explain to Andy that you're our wonderful gay leader. <laughs> I can't even, <laughs> so good. <laughs> I fucking can't. He says to Andy, you're our wonderful gay leader. <laughs> He says to Andy, will you suck dick for this water problem? <laughs> and <laughs> Billy's basically like telling Andy like, bro, will you suck the head of customs dick for this water? Like, I don't have the 175K, dude. Like, I'm going to need you to take one for the team. <laughs> and <laughs> oh my God, I can't. And basically like... Billy poses it to Andy like, bro, you need to save this festival. You need to suck some dick to save this festival. <laughs> so what does Andy do? Like, God bless him. He freaking goes back to wherever he's staying. He said he took a shower. He gargled with mouthwash. And he went down to Cunningham's office, the head of customs, prepared to suck some dick for water. <laughs> And I'm like, well, first of all, like, wouldn't you do the mouthwash afterward? But I don't know. That's just where my mind went. But anyway, he got prepared to suck some D for water so that people would not go thirsty at this festival. <laughs> and I couldn't help but think like if Fire Festival, because spoiler alert, Firefest never happened, but we're going to get to that. 
But if this festival ever did happen, like there would have been like a newspaper headline that's like the BJ that saved fire festival. <laughs> or maybe Andy would get sponsored credit and it would be like this festival is brought to you by Andy's BJ. <laughs> Like, yeah, like I just this was my favorite part of this entire documentary. Like this was so good. And God bless Andy for going on TV and saying like, yes, I was prepared to suck some D for water. <laughs> like I can't. It's so good. OK. All right. Let me gather myself. <sighs> so the night before the fire festival, what happens? It starts pouring rain. And again, this is just like another sign that they should not go through with the freaking fire fest, but they continue to push forward even with this pouring rain. And it just, it's bonkers. So when it starts pouring rain, it is the night before this event. Thousands of people are already flying in and now it's pouring rain. Oh, but guess what? They're still not done setting up the damn event. Like there are mattresses getting rained on. There's still not enough housing for guests. They still haven't figured that out. And literally people are on airplanes on their way to this festival. And then there's the notification that Blink-182 pulls out of the festival. I, I imagine Blink-182 saw the writing on the wall and they were probably like, dude, I don't think this is going to happen. Like, I just think this is going to be bunk and it's, we're pulling out of this shit. Like, this is not going to be worth our while. And, and again, the organizers should have just like called it at so many points like before this, but like when Blink-182 pulls out, like they should have just been like, okay, it's a wrap. But also like the mattresses getting rained on. Also, they don't have enough housing. Also, they don't have enough food. Also, they don't have luxury tents. Like, and on and on and on and on, but they just keep going. When there's this footage and it shows all these like influencers boarding their flights and all these people who bought tickets, they're all excited and they're on a bus after they, you know, after their plane lands, they get on a bus and it's taking them to the event. And this is gonna be like the first time that they've seen this event. And like literally by the promo that they saw, they're expecting to see beautiful models, white sandy beaches, luxury tents or yurts, beach houses, you know, booze and food and music and like just this like almost surreal setting. But before they're taken to the site, because again, the event space is not even close to being ready. Billy and his scammy organizers, they decide to reroute all the buses the buses that were supposed to take the attendees to the event space, they reroute the buses to like the one local restaurant that exists on this island. And the restaurant doesn't even get a heads up notice. So they have no clue that these hundreds of people or thousands or however many there were, they don't even get a heads up that like, you, but your kitchen better get ready, like your bar better get ready, all these people are coming. So the buses get rerouted to the one local restaurant and they do the best they can to like provide for these people. And so the people are like happy at first, they don't really know what's going on, they kind of figure like, oh, the, this is our first stop in this luxury experience, we're gonna go to this restaurant, grab a few drinks, get some food, and then we're gonna go see this beautiful, you know, Firefest event space. So they end up being holed up at this restaurant for like six hours, right? And then the, then they're like, okay, how much time are we gonna spend here? Like, when are we gonna get on this bus and go to this event space? Like, are we ready yet? Like, what is going on? They start to get kind of impatient. And that is when they get back on the buses and they're just the anticipation. You can feel the anticipation when you see the footage. They're on the bus, everybody's got their, you know, camera phone out and they're like getting ready to see this serene location that they're gonna be staying in. And when they see the actual event space, they are in shock and disbelief. They're like, turn the bus around. <laughs> like, no, it was the shittiest setup you've ever seen in your life. Like it was not at all what they were sold. They see the hurricane tents. They see there's, you know, there's no beautiful models running around on the beaches. There's no nothing. It's a bunch of half-ass hurricane tents and that's about it. 
And so Billy and his organizers, they're scrambling. Like, what are we going to do to like trick these people into thinking this is all part of the experience? Like, what are we going to do? So they start blasting this music. They start giving everybody like tequila shots or alcohol shots, getting them wasted so that they maybe like wouldn't understand what was going on. And they're just trying to distract these guests. And then this huge, gigantic line forms outside of the production house, which is where like Billy and his organizers would always meet every night. And maybe they were sleeping there as well as they were getting ready for this fire fest. And nobody even knows what this line is for. It's just a, you know how you like kind of see a few people lining up. So people just kind of like follow the herd. They're like, oh, I guess we're supposed to line up here. And I guess they kind of believe that this is like the check-in spot. This is where we kind of like officially check in, but there was no organization to it. No organized check-in. It was just this long line of thirsty, hungry, tired, and confused people. And at one point, Billy just tells everybody, grab a tent, like literally. So then everybody starts beelining it towards these hurricane tents that are supposed to be luxury tents. They start, and they're just like grabbing tents, like, oh, I've got one over here, I've got one over here. And it's literally just like a mob mentality because there's no organization to it. And it's just a free for all. And then at one point, this these big commercial trucks come and like dump everybody's luggage and there's no like organization to that either. So everybody's like, oh, I think I have a black bag. Oh, I think that's mine. I think that's mine. Like it is just chaos and confusion. And people are looting toilet paper. They're looting mattresses. They're hoarding pillows. Uh, there's no lighting at night. So it's a certain point. It's just this dark island of chaotic, you know, chaos. People running around, grabbing mattresses, like just just there was no organization and the people who were still on airplanes or you know not at the event space yet they're going to be asked out when they get there because all these other people have taken their tents because there wasn't enough housing for everybody and then there's a lot of negative tweets starting to go out online um about the fire fest and it's going viral the people who are on ground zero on the island seeing the shit show that is fire fest they're of course you know, tweeting about it and putting it out on social media. And that shit starts to go viral. And then there is this infamous photo, close-up photo of this sad and soggy cheese sandwich with like a tomato and one piece of lettuce next to it. And some random guy who was at the festival apparently was like, this is our food. This is what they're serving. This is not what we bought, but this is what they're serving. And that sad, soggy cheese sandwich photo goes absolutely viral. And it was so funny the way they framed it on the documentary. They say something like, the entire festival was built by a couple of powerful models who posted this ambiguous orange tile on social media. And then that entire festival burnt to the ground because of a sad and soggy cheese sandwich photo that went viral that was posted by some random dude who had maybe like 200 followers. Like he literally took fire festival down with his cheese sandwich photo. <laughs> so good. And people loved watching this event go down in flames, right? Because it's just a bunch of like, people with enough means to buy expensive tickets to a festival. So, you know, kind of like these privileged people and influencers and, you know, are just going down in flames. And I think kind of everybody was sort of loving watching rich or privileged people just kind of like be made a mockery of. And there's these really funny social media posts. One of them said, um, every time a rich kid gets scammed, an angel gets its wings. Hashtag fire festival. <laughs> and fire festival, Billy McFarlane and Ja Rule are getting absolutely dragged online and on social media. Like they're being made fun of. There are memes being made out of them. Like it just, this fire festival now it's gotten out to the world and it's, just been exposed for the complete scam that it is. And the airports in the Bahamas are absolutely overwhelmed with people trying to get off the island because once they get there, they realize like this shit ain't happening. This is a shit show. We need to get off this island. So they go to the airports and they're trying to get out. There's no food. There's no water. People are locked inside the airport as the airport tries to figure out how the hell to get these people home. The sad part of all of this, though, is that 
the day laborers and, you know, all the people that were local to the island who were working their asses off to carry this thing out did not get paid. They were left holding the bag. And that is devastating for these people. They are people who are not accustomed to living in a place where such a high profile event is going to bring a ton of revenue onto the island. So they're thinking it's this big opportunity. And of course, that's what they were sold to believe. They're thinking it's this big opportunity. They're all going to make all this money. It's going to be great for the island. And they worked their asses off for months and never freaking got paid. And these people, these locals on the island are pissed off. And they are like after Billy McFarlane and all of his team who put this festival together and it actually got really scary at one point like the festival organizers who were left still left on the island were like afraid for their lives and trying to scramble like how do we get off this island alive the fire festival was an absolute financial disaster so much so that it took down fire media billy's company uh, where there was this app, you know, to book these celebrities for events. It took down that company as well. And in the aftermath of Fire Festival, once everybody's off the island, back in the United States, back in New York, um, Billy holds this Fire app uh, team conference call. And, and one of the Fire media employees speaks up and says, this whole thing was fraud. Like, we lied to people about what we were going to be delivering to them. And then stupid Ja Fool speaks up and he's like, he says, you can hear him say this on the conference call. He's like, um, that's not fraud. That's a uh, false advertising. Like, bro, you're splitting hairs. Okay. You just said it's not fraud, but it is false advertising. So you're still admitting to some level of wrongdoing. Like, it's just the stupidest thing. And like Jaw Rule is acting more like Jaw Tool at this point. Then there's a hundred million dollar class action lawsuit that's filed against, you know, Fire Festival, Billy McFarlane, and all the people involved in putting this thing together. And it's for fraud, negligent misrepresentation, breach of contract, and other things. And a hundred influencers are named in that lawsuit because when they were posting on behalf of this fire festival, they apparently were not hashtagging um, advertisements. So they didn't use the hashtag advertisement to let people know that this isn't this is a paid advertisement. This is not me, Bella Hadid, um, really actually like wanting to go to this festival or actually, you know, involved in this festival other than I've been paid to say that it's a great festival, you know? Um, and now there's rules surrounding that. Like whenever there's like a paid ad with a, you know, a brand or social media campaign, you have to use hashtag ad or hashtag sponsorship or hashtag advertisement. And then Billy holds a meeting, like a conference call with the fire media employees. And he proceeds to tell them, I'm not firing anyone, but there will be no payroll. And so the employee, one of them speaks up and she's like, so you're not firing us, but you're also not laying us off so that we can go and collect unemployment. You're just saying you're not really doing anything with us other than I'm not going to pay you like the dude's an idiot. Then the FBI gets involved. They start questioning the fire festival management team. And, you know, apparently Billy, you know, they're going to charge Billy with defrauding investors out of $27 million for this fire festival debacle. And in these, you know, in these charges, they're basically saying that what Billy did, he told investors, like he went out and got investors for the fire festival and he told them all kinds of lies. He inflated key financial metrics of his company, Fire Media. He lied to investors. He also told them that they had booked Drake for this fire festival, which wasn't at all true. Here's what I find funny though, is that I don't know where my mind works in weird ways, but Billy McFarlane thought he was like this super cool guy and he could just do anything. And he tried, you know, he lied about booking Drake at this fire fest. And maybe he even reached out to Drake and Drake was like, yeah, no bro, I'm good on that. But that Billy girl on TikTok, Billy with an I, Billy Altoff, I think is her name. 
um, she was able to nab Drake for an interview. And I am still trying to figure out how did this girl nab all these big celebrities on her podcast? Um, I don't know. I don't know why I thought it was funny that that Billy was able to nab Drake for an interview on her podcast. And she like kind of came out of nowhere, but like Billy McFarlane who thinks he's like super cool and, um, inflated ego couldn't nab Drake. Anyway, moving on. Billy also, as part of like these charges, um, it was alleged that Billy lied and said that he had over $2 million, that he owned over $2 million in Facebook stock, which in reality, he had about $1,400 in Facebook stock. So Billy is formally charged with all of this and he's facing 20 years in prison. And it also sucks that the Fire Festival management team who truly believed that this, you know, most of them, I, I got to believe they thought this was like a legit thing and didn't really know the inner workings of it and didn't know that all this shady shit was going on. They're left holding the bag as well because some of them have over $100,000 in debt on their personal credit cards that was never reimbursed to them. So Billy is formally charged and booked, and then he's out on $300,000 bail. And he proceeds to move into his parents' New Jersey basement. There's no more Maserati, no more expensive penthouse. Like, you think at this point that Billy has been humbled. Oh, but he hasn't. While he's on bail, apparently he gets out of his parents' basement, and now he starts staying at this really expensive luxury hotel penthouse and you see footage of it on the documentary he asks friends of his to come and film him at the penthouse so they come with their cameras and they start taking all this footage of him and they're wondering like how the hell is billy living so large he's out on bail he lost his ass on this fire fest he no longer has his fire media company what is going on how is he staying in this penthouse and then in 2017 all of the attendees that bought tickets for Fire Festival, they start getting these random emails from a company called NYC VIP Access. And all the emails are signed by a guy named Frank. These email solicitations were basically about these getaways that they were trying to get these people to buy. Um, these getaways to like really exclusive events to like the Masters Golf Tournament, Coachella, Burning Man. I don't know who the hell wants to go to Burning Man, but anyway, um, the Victoria's Secret Fashion Show, like all these exclusive events. And it becomes clear that the email list of attendees who were going to attend Firefest are now being targeted by this NYC VIP access company. It turns out these are just fake offerings. This is just another scam. Um, you know, attending the Victoria's Secret fashion show, Burning Man, Coachella, all of it, these emails are just scammy emails. But nobody really understands why they're getting these emails or how somebody got their email address. And then we're introduced to a guy named Frank Stubble Jr. And he is the Frank who's signing those emails that are coming from the company called NYC VIP Access. And they show footage of him hanging out with Billy at this penthouse hotel. And you're trying to figure out like, what's the connection? What's going on here? Then it becomes clear that Billy had reached out to Frank and he's like, hey, dude, I'm going to start a brand. And this is while Billy's out um, on bail, right? He's out on bail. He reaches out to this guy, Frank, and he's like, look, dude, I'm going to start a new company, but I'm in a lot of hot water right now. So I'm going to need you to be the face of it. So that's where the genesis of NYC VIP access comes about. And this guy, Frank, is going to be the face of it because Billy can't be the face of it because he's facing trial and 20 years in prison. According to the FBI, um, 15 people ended up giving Frank and NYC VIP access about $100,000 for these phony events. So when, you know, law enforcement catches wind of this, Billy is arrested a second time because obviously trying to scam people uh, over these bogus events while you're on parole is a violation of your parole. And this second time around after he's arrested for these phony event scam that Frank is heading up, now Billy's being charged with five more felonies and that includes uh, money laundering, fraud, identity theft, obstruction of justice, and witness intimidation. The guy's a douchebag. And really my assessment of Billy is that, you know, he's just this like insecure 
privileged kid who was like desperate to become a part of a world that he never would have otherwise fit into without scamming people to make it look like he's this big tech bro, this tech entrepreneur, this successful guy, drives a Maserati, lives in a penthouse. He's throwing the most epic fire festival in the world and now he's BFFs with Ja Rule. Like he scammed people to make a name for himself because he was a nerdy dude who probably didn't get a lot of attention from the ladies. Um, that's just my assessment. And Billy does in fact end up being sentenced to six years in federal prison and he's agreed to a lifetime ban on ever serving as a corporate officer or director of a company again. So in the aftermath, after Billy is sentenced, Ja Rule goes on. I, I was always baffled by the fact that Ja Rule didn't catch any charges for this. Like I will have to dive deeper into that because I have no idea how that played out. But anywho, he ends up moving on and he partners with a company or a person, I don't know what it is, but it's called M. David Lowe to launch a brand new talent booking platform called Icon. So Ja Rule just kind of like moves on with his, with his life after Firefest. Billy McFarlane ends up serving four years in federal prison. He was released in March of 2022. He still owes millions of dollars in restitution uh, to investors as well as ticket holders to Fire Festival. And get this. The dude is now currently, as of the present day, he is promoting Firefest 2. He's literally promoting another Fire Festival. So he is telling people that Fire Festival 2 is coming in December of 2024. He's already trying to sell tickets that start at $499. Uh, but they might go as high as like $8,000 depending on what add-ons. So he's literally doing the old scam all over again after serving prison time for scamming people. He's now what looks to be scamming people again. And according to an August 24th, 2023 NPR article by Vanessa Romo, Billy can legally throw another Firefest. I guess because my question was like, how can he do that? He's a convicted felon. Like, isn't there something in his parole that says he can't? But I guess apparently legally he can. The issue arises, though, that Billy has travel restrictions as part of his uh, probation. Apparently, he's not supposed to travel outside of the southern area of New York. However, he was authorized uh, earlier this year to travel to Germany um, for to be a speaker at the Founder Summit. And all I can think is like, who the hell wants this scammy McScammerson asshole to be a speaker at any event? Like literally any event. Who wants this guy, this guy, to be their speaker? Like I just, I don't understand, but people are still sort of holding him up on a platform. According to Billy's lawyer, all the proceeds from Firefest 2, if it happens, will go toward the restitution that's owed to the fire investors as well as the previous ticket holders. And sho this shocked me. But Andy King, the BJ for Water hero, he's actually currently working with Billy McFarlane again on Firefest 2. Like he's all in. I cannot imagine why he's doing that, but... Um, he is. And if you all want more information on Billy McFarland and what he's up to today, my girl, Roberta Blevins, she's a TikToker, podcaster. I believe she's also on YouTube. Um, she is actually currently doing a series on Billy McFarland and what he's up to these days. So you should check her out. She's on TikTok at Berta Like Woe. She's also on YouTube at Roberta Blevins L A M L M. Um, and I think she has a podcast called Life After MLM. So check her out. She's currently doing a series on Billy McFarland, and she'll give you all the the deets on this scammy McScammerson. All right, you guys, that's it for Fire Festival, the ill faded infamous you know music festival that never was um let me know what you all think so this serial streamers episode uh, about the fire festival is going to drop on the murderish podcast on october 20th and it'll drop on youtube as well a few days after that so make sure you're subscribed to my youtube channel at jamie on air as well as my podcast murderish it's available in you know wherever podcasts are available 
And also make sure you're following me on Instagram at Jamie on Air because that is where we virtually meet the the Serial Streamers um, True Crime TV Club. That's where we meet every couple of weeks to talk about these series that we're watching together. You guys, I can't wait to hear from you on this one. What did you think about the BJ Water hero, Andy King? <laughs> My assistant, Alexis. <laughs> My assistant, Alexis, just called him Handy King. Because, <laughs> like, who knows? Maybe a hand job would have been, like, you know, offered as an additional. I Listen, if, if Andy King... <laughs> If Andy King was willing to suck D for water, like I gotta believe he was gonna give a little handy on the side as well. Like who knows? As an add-on add package. <laughs> in true Firefest, you know, Firefest, what you would call it. In true Firefest fashion, old Andy, you know, Andy, what's his name? Andy. Oh, handy Andy. <laughs> Probably would have offered like a hand job on the side for an additional few Avion water bottles. I don't know. <laughs> Couple extra pallets will get you a handy. <laughs> All right, you guys, I can't. I'm giddy. I'm about to go do an IG live after this. Uh, can't wait for that. But I hope you enjoyed this one. I did. Nobody died. That's wonderful. Um, somebody almost had to give a BJ for water. But listen, <laughs> the worst things have happened. <laughs> Thanks for watching. Thanks for listening. Make sure you're subscribed to the YouTube channel at Jamie on Air. Make sure you're subscribed to the podcast, uh, Murderish. It's available everywhere. And I will see you all on the next Serial Streamers episode. Bye. Seeking the truth never gets old. Introducing June's Journey, the free-to-play mobile game that will immerse you in a thrilling murder mystery. Join June Parker as she uncovers hidden objects and clues to solve her sister's death in a beautifully illustrated world set in the Roaring Twenties. With new chapters added every week, the excitement never ends. Download June's Journey now on your Android or iOS device or play on PC through Facebook games.